Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Story time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I was hunting in a forest during gun season in Michigan in the early 2000s. My spot was the far edge of a swamp. To get to it I walked a trail that sort of cut through the middle past this huge gnarled dead tree. Its limbs curled like a dead hand reaching towards the sky. It was straight from a horror movie. This particular morning the fog was out but not horribly thick. I reached this tree and I'm panning the flashlight looking out over the swamp. I see this talk black shadow running through the swamp. 
It looked like a humanoid figure and faded after a few seconds. I scream at the top of my lungs as I see this figure and then nothing. I reach my cousin who was 100 yards away on the FRS radio and he said he never heard my scream. Last time I was away sailing, we docked for the night, fair enough. It had been a long day on the open waters, and the peacefulness of the marina was a welcome change. The sun had just dipped below the horizon, casting a warm orange hue across the sky as we secured the boat and prepared to unwind. I was just chilling above deck with one of my buds aboard, the gentle lapping of the water against the hull creating a soothing background melody. The cool breeze rustled my hair, and the scent of the salt water mingled with the faint aroma of dinner being prepared in the galley below. It was the kind of tranquil evening that made all the challenges of sailing worthwhile. And then, as if a switch had been flipped, the serenity was shattered. The water around us started rippling towards the boat, rocking it slightly. At first, we exchanged puzzled glances, wondering if it was some strange phenomenon caused by the tide or a passing ship. But the ripples grew stronger, more pronounced, and there was an undeniable sense of movement beneath us. My heart quickened, and I shot a bewildered look at my friend. Do you see that? I stammered, my voice tinged with a mixture of excitement and trepidation. He nodded, his eyes wide with a mix of curiosity and concern. Yeah, something's not right. We gave the area a quick glance over, searching for any logical explanation. Maybe it was just an underwater current playing tricks on us. But our rationalizations were cut short when we heard a faint whispering, like a soft breeze carrying distant voices. Unease settled over us as we exchanged another glance, our senses heightened. Without a word, we decided to go grab some snacks from the galley and return to the deck, our curiosity getting the better of us. That's when we saw them, the source of the unsettling phenomenon. Shadow figures, haunting and ethereal, emerged from the water-like wraiths. Transparent holes for eyes stared through us, their forms shifting and morphing as if they were made of smoke and mist. It was terrifying. My heart raced, and my breath caught in my throat as I tried to make sense of what we were witnessing. Were these apparitions, lost souls from some long-forgotten maritime tragedy? Or was there some natural explanation that had eluded us? The figures didn't move quickly, they drifted with an eerie, deliberate slowness. It was as if they were studying us just as intensely as we were studying them. My mind raced, considering whether we should attempt to communicate or retreat to the safety of the cabin. But the decision was made for us when the figures began to advance, their ghostly forms gliding over the water's surface. Panic surged through me, my instinct screaming that this was a danger beyond comprehension. Without a second thought, my friend and I bolted, practically tripping over each other in our haste to get back inside the cabin. The boat's engine roared to life, and we powered away from the marina, putting distance between ourselves and the inexplicable encounter. My heart pounded in my chest as we sped through the dark waters, the night air echoing with our ragged breaths. As we finally slowed to a safer distance, we turned to look back at the marina. The shadow figures were gone, faded into the night like a twisted dream. We exchanged a shaky glance, 
our minds struggling to process the surreal events we had just witnessed. We never found out what those shadow figures were, or if anyone else had ever experienced such a haunting encounter. But one thing was certain, that night would forever be etched into our memories, a chilling reminder that the mysteries of the sea run far deeper than we could ever fathom. One evening my radio had kicked in with someone else reporting that they had seen the same thing I had. Something that I'll never forget. This thing that I saw scared me half to death, that's for sure. I was working the evening shift, patrolling the watershed and keeping an eye out for people who may or may not be illegally fishing. I was hiking up along a creek. This creek feeds into a river, and I saw a large, dark furry thing by some trees across from where my patrol vehicle was parked. It stood as still as a tree, its arms raised slightly, at its size like it was sniffing the air and stretching. It had to have been over 8 feet tall, judging by where it was standing by a tree, and built like a linebacker, wide shoulders and chest tapering down to its slender hips. I could see muscles tensing along its legs as it crouched slightly. I was startled and immediately thought of the people I'd encountered on duty before, usually drunk kids and groups of teens getting rowdy around campfires. But this time, this was something entirely different, something inexplicable and all alone out here in the middle of nowhere, with no backup. I didn't think, I froze in place, hoping that it had not seen me, while I studied the bushes where it was crouching, waiting for it to move again. That's when my radio started buzzing with the other rangers reporting seeing the same thing. That's when this thing took off running, full speed, into the woods. I could see, along the side of it where I was standing on top of a hill overlooking the river valley, it disappeared quickly behind some trees, ran like nothing I'd ever seen before, powerful strides, moving its legs back and forth in giant leaps, up the hills towards town but not before stopping long enough to look straight at me without ever slowing down. It had green eyes that shone bright in the night. I was terrified from this, and I still have no way to explain what sort of animal this was. My ranking was Staff Sergeant E6, and I was in charge of a security firewatch platoon. We handled perimeter defense on the flight line and security at the squadron operations center. We also managed the odd green sheet patrol on base after dark, looking for would-be intruders. This part of my story occurred back in the 1960s. I served with the 8th Tactical Fighter Wing at the Yuban Air Base in Thailand. At the time, I was a replacement airman fresh from the USA and not long in country. The squadron to which I was assigned had just turned over almost all of its aircraft to the 388th TFW, which took our F-4Ds, including my platoon's aircraft, and sent us back to the USA. My unit only had 5 F-4CS left in the country, so I was not going anywhere soon. I had some time on my hands. We were on the flight line about midnight, minding our own business when an airman came screaming out of the night, heading toward us from across the flight line. I thought he was a fire marshal or an airman on fire watch, checking to see if anybody was out by the flight line. I couldn't understand why he needed to run, though. He ran up to us and was gasping for breath. 
he told us that we had been on fire watch during the flight line, and he saw something out over the end of the runway 1129. He said it was a bright reddish-orange object that came in from the west, slowly across the field to the east. It hovered for a short time above an aircraft revetment area before slowly drifting out of view to the south. He said he stood in disbelief for a few seconds until it came back out from behind some trees. He said it was this time it slowly moved toward him and hovered over building 7357, also known as the AGE hangar. We refueled our aircraft with JP-4, he said. It looked like a huge fireball with a greenish-bluish hue glow around it. He said he could see rivets in the object and what looked like a dome on top. It was about the size of an F-4C, which was about 53 feet long with a wingspan of 38 feet. He said the dome was about 20 feet in diameter, and it had some kind of windows or ports on each side. He said it had stayed there for a short time before slowly turning to the south and disappearing behind some trees. We radioed flight control about our Firewatch Airmen's report, but they said they had not reported anything unusual. They told us to keep an eye out for anything suspicious, but there was nothing else until about an hour later. There was an airman on duty at the AGE hangar who had just relieved his replacement. He radioed flight control and he thought there was a small fire inside the AGE hangar. At first, they did not believe him. There were no reports of any aircraft being in the area. After about five minutes, they told him to call us for assistance. When we arrived, our firewatch airman was already there and said that he had seen the object in question, that it was hovering over the AGE hangar when he first saw it. He said it came out from behind the trees and was hovering over building 7357 like before, and he saw it for a second time. There was definitely something strange going on. We entered the hangar and saw a glow in the corners. We pulled our fire extinguishers off of our jeep and headed into the hangar. It was still too dark to make out much, but we could see a reddish-orange glow emanating. We could feel the intense heat even though we were only 50 feet away. The section chief was already in there with his extinguishers and managed to knock down the glow. The fire was coming from a 12-foot deep vent in the floor, which was shielded by a steel grate. The fire marshal went over to the hot grate, and it became red hot when he touched it. We all stood there in disbelief. We would later learn that the fire marshal had already pulled up the two great sidebars when he first saw the flames. We called flight control, and they sent coverall crews to help us with opening all the aircraft revetments to see if there were any fires in the adjacent aircraft. We found nothing that night, but it turned out to be a very eventful one for all of us. We never reported our lights in the sky sightings to anybody else that I know of. But the next morning, while eating breakfast, I informed my wife that there was a bright reddish-orange object in the sky heading toward Grand Forks AFB from the west. I never saw it, but she said it was very bright and that it appeared to be a trail of some kind behind it that was warping space and time. These were her words. I don't know if the sighting had anything to do with the fire in the AGE hangar that night, but I feel it is important enough to report this incident after all these years. I'm an old soldier now retired from the U.S. Army after 20 years of active duty with two wars under my belt.
I am also a former member of the U.S. Army Security Agency and was honorably discharged as an intercept operator. I would also really like to know if anybody else has had similar sightings or knew of this happening at Grand Forks during the 1960s. I hope somebody out there in the UFO community reads this and can shed some light on this very strange incident in my life. I was in the mountains of North Carolina for several days. It was a beautiful and peaceful hiking trip with my brother, sister, and their friend Caleb. Until one early morning around 3 am, when every creature in a 10-mile radius was chirping, squeaking, howling, or scampering around through the woods. Being from the Midwest, and having survived two tornadoes, I thought the worst weather event of my life was about to occur, and I was sleeping in a hammock. For those who don't know, just before a tornado is formed above your head, every animal is sight will be freaking the F out. They know. They can feel it. You can feel it too, you just won't know what that new feeling is until the 60-year-old trees beside you are being ripped from the ground. Being in the eye of a tornado is even more strange, as all those same animals in sight are frozen. Sure, they still exist, but their little soul is on hold and they don't do much more than look around quietly. It's creepy. Anyway, this wasn't a tornado. 3 a.m., the fire we made was just ambers, and a roaring thunder of animals freaking out. I peek my head out of my hammock, imagining getting my face smashed in by the first softball-sized hail, with my luck, just for looking. But no. There was no bad weather. There was no storm or looming catastrophe. It was a beautiful night, aside from the roaring animal kingdom. My brother peeked his head out of hammock above me and looked down to see if I was awake. When he saw my eyes as wide as saucers, he whispered, what the F is happening? I replied, I don't know, but I wish I was up there in your hammock. Being on the ground level usually is best for guys my size, about 235 pounds. I lacked the grace to climb up hammock ropes and jump into bed 8 feet off the ground. Anyway, the terrifyingly creepy roaring continued for about 30 seconds. And then, it just suddenly stopped. It seemed to be a sweeping effect, where the outside of the radius stopped first and the creatures closer to us stopped last, but it was only a single second or two difference. It was pretty damn synchronized. My brother and I were freaked the F out. After five minutes of silence we got out of the hammocks and started the fire up again. This time, we made sure it was big enough to light up a hundred feet out. The last thing we need is a big foot or some weird shit going down. My brother went up to the ridge to check on my sister and Caleb, about 60 feet uphill from our hammocks. Caleb always wanted to be in the highest possible safe spot so he could watch the sunrise from his hammock. As soon as my brother got to their hammocks he yelled a shrieking kind of yell for me, the kind I had only heard from him twice before, when his friend got his bike handle bar lodged in his stomach about an inch deep as a kid, and when he split his own head open. I ran up to the ridge with the axe in my right hand, the first aid bag in my left hand, and flashlight in my teeth, expecting the worst. When I arrived to Caleb's bottom bunk, he was in a state of shock. His eyes were wide open, he was shivering and shaking, and he was staring down at the valley. Wouldn't you know, my sister didn't even wake up. 
Figures, lol. She had her headphones in all night, listening to her folk music. Apparently she hates the sound of animals, and prefers to have a controlled mental state where nothing can make her paranoid. We woke her up and she had no idea what the hell was going on. She just stayed in her hammock like, what do you want me to do? We eventually got Caleb down to the fire and wrapped him in some blankets. I gave him a shot of whiskey to sip on, but he mostly just held it and stared into the fire. The whole night was too weird for sleep. But Caleb finally laid down next to the fire and fell asleep around 4.45 am. The sun came up and my siblings and I decided to leave the fire and go see the sunrise from the ridge. We all sat in Caleb's hammock, still bewildered. The sun was perfect, and Caleb picked out the best spot you could imagine, as usual. But then my brother spotted something strange. What's that, he said, pointing down the valley. Right there, on the bank of the river. My sister and I struggled to get his perspective, but then finally noticed a clearing. We decided to go check it out, but one of us had to stay with Caleb. My sister volunteered, as she hates creepy things. She didn't want us to go down, but we insisted. I left her my axe and emergency GPS signal thing. I told her to just scream if she needed us, and to not hesitate to use her pepper spray. She just said, stop freaking me out and just go, I'll be here when you get back. So my brother and I hiked down to the river. It took about 20 minutes. When we arrived, we felt very uncomfortable. There were no animals around, whatsoever. No birds, no squirrels, nothing. The clearing on the river bank was about 100 yards upstream. We took to the higher side of the bank, to keep our distance. I don't think either of us actually expected anything to go down, but we wanted to remain cautious. When we were about 50 yards away, at a slight elevation to the clearing, we pulled out our phones to take pictures. But our phones were dead. Mine is known to die, but I have an external battery pack that attaches to my OtterBox, that I know is fully charged. My brother's phone is always reliable, and usually attached to his portable solar panel charger that he keeps on the outside of his pack. His shit was dead too. Both of us tried to hold our power buttons, not believing they were really dead. But when we realized they were definitely not going to turn on, we both got that paranoid look on our faces. We decided to leave, but not before carefully studying the clearing for a few seconds. It was about 100 feet across, and the shape of a triangle. All of the bushes and plants that typically grow alongside the river were all flattened down. Even some mature azalea bushes that typically stand 6 to 8 feet tall were eerily laying flat. It's as if everything in that triangle shape had bent down as close to the ground as it could get. Nothing appeared broken, but rather as if it had grown along the earth instead of growing up toward the sun. It was weird as shit, and only in that triangle area. When we got back to camp, Caleb was awake. My sister had a weird look on her face. Caleb was totally normal. Hey bro, you alright? My brother asked. Caleb just casually answered, yeah man, doing well. Missed the sunrise but I guess I needed the sleep. We just looked at him concerned, like, what the f? He was eating a breakfast bar and heating up coffee over the fire. We sat down across from him, and I asked, so hey, 
Do you remember that shit last night? He looked at me puzzled. My brother added, you know, when all the animals freaked out, and we found you. He just looked so confused. My sister said, Caleb, stop playing. He asked, what are you talking about? My brother said, bro, you were messed up last night, Caleb laughed and responded, yeah, I figured I had to be, because I never sleep next to the fire all wrapped up in blankets, not after getting that bug in my ear that one time, lol, we continued to ask him questions, but he had no memory whatsoever. As far as he was concerned he had a few too many drinks and slept next to the fire. We told him our story, and each of us agreed, but he had no recollection. We told him about the spot next to the river, and how our phones wouldn't turn on, we pulled our phones out to show him, and they were already on. My brother had 67% battery, and mine had 41%. We got the creeps real quick. We decided to pack up camp and get the F away from that spot. But before we did a final sweep Caleb asked, have you guys seen my camera? He had a nice DSLR Sony with a nice lens. And that shit was gone. The weirdest part is he slept with it in his hammock every single time he goes camping, and we've never seen it not on his body. He even specifically remembered taking it to bed and tucking it in its bag, and putting the lens in its sleeve. It's like a ritual for him, he takes super good care of his belongings. We searched around the ridge, and all around the fire, and in between the two spots. It was nowhere to be found. Caleb even went down the ridge a bit, toward the river, in case it had fallen out and rolled down the hill. But it was gone. We had to leave, and my siblings and I agreed to pitch in to buy him a new one if he would just get the F out of there with us. About three miles and one hour later, my brothers turned to me on the trail and said, do you think he tried to take a picture of some shit he wasn't supposed to see? The creepiest feeling swept over me, and I replied, bro, let's just forget how messed up he was, and get the hell away from here. He nodded in agreement. It's been about a year now, and they haven't seen or heard from Caleb in eight months. No one has. The Oregon coastline is as vast as it is beautiful. It's one of those scenes that you need to add the sea smell to truly comprehend it. Me and the missus bought a cabin up here. After a long duration wrestling with lawyers and the local wildlife board we were finally handed the keys. It was a simple place, more designed after what one's idea of a cozy wood cabin would be than an actual economical dwelling place. It even had a moose head mounted above the old log fireplace. It was cheap, unusually cheap, like 30% less than other cabins around the same area, but it was a 5 minute walk from the beach and the views were second to none. My wife and I saved our vacation days and blew the lot on 3 weeks out here. The first few nights were standard, board games, roaring fire and walks in the surrounding forest as well as the beach. The cabin was only about 15 minutes from the nearest town, a forgetful suburb called Coast Town, imaginative, that had all the necessities we could need. Any real estate company will advertise a cabin as remote knowing fine well that a truly isolated home, no matter how fine the interior, wouldn't sell. Luxury can only get the modern man so far when he has to drive an hour to the nearest store. The illusion of isolation was good enough. 
My wife planned to meet her parents at the local bar. They spent their retirement money on clunky RV and have been touring the west coast of North America since they collected their last check. Not wanting to hear about the tribal customs of the Canadian British Columbia natives, again, I said that I'd just kick about the cabin and have some me time. I'd spent the last few holidays with her parents, so I'd put in my family time and she knew that. The only thing more charming than the cabin itself was the yard surrounding the property. A long stretch of robust shrubbery and grassland stretching to a wall of trees that separated pretend countryside from the real deal. The previous owners must have been hunters or wildlife enthusiasts of some kind because the yard was strewn with bird houses, deer feeders and their bookshelf was full of fauna guides. I had nothing to do and Nettlefix is boring regardless of location. I'd still rather leaf through the various bear species of Oregon than talk to her parents. Stag, black bears, woodpeckers, blah and blah and blah. Each species had a poorly drawn sketch and the most basic information on the animals possible. Species, mule deer. Chance of seeing, high. Feed, live of local flora. Can be feed fruit. Who the hell wrote this? This is the most armature shit ever. I threw the magazine onto the table and made my way to the kitchen. I'd held it off for a while but finally succumbed to the call of beer. Drinking out of boredom isn't ideal, but it is what it is. I moved to the fridge, reached in and grabbed the long green bottle balanced on a beer pyramid. I was away to head back to the TV when I noticed them. Initially, I had no idea what I was looking at. Kinda looked like when you point a laser pen at a wall. Two red dots about. I'd say six feet of the ground, just hovering there. I knew kids play out here in the woods, or come out here to get wasted, so assumed that this was them just messing with me. They must have known I was aware of them, because when I locked my eyes on their laser pointer, or whatever it was, they both moved in unison. I'm not spending the night being messed about by a bunch of punks. Sliding the door to the wooden patio I saw the two hovering pieces of red seem to move back. Hey! I called you mine not f around. No movement, rustling, or call back from these guys. The red orbs remained in place. I mean it guys, f off. I'm not usually this brass, but it's pitch black out here and I just want to relax. I rarely get a break from the wife. Okay if you don't leave I'm calling the cops and they'll see. Before I could conclude my threat, the red orbs disappeared, then reappeared. Almost like they blinked? No, they must be clicking their laser pointers or using their phones or... Then it hit me. If these were kids shining a light at me, wouldn't I see the reflection of their light against my body, or somewhere against the cabin wall? Those weren't lights. I shuffled for my phone, searched through the apps and found my searchlight. As soon as I shone the light illuminating a slash of light on the grass in front of me, I then saw the red orbs retreat and heard a body moving through brush. It didn't sound like a group of people, or even two teenagers. It sounded like a single entity shifting its weight backwards. I was so preoccupied with my shouting that I didn't notice the smell. It hit me like a sucker punch as soon as removed the slightest attention away from the orbs. The smell was like rotting meat. It reminded me of my uncle's farm which had a slaughterhouse down the road. 
I would cycle past the Cyclopean grey building and the smell of butchered meat and intestinal gore would almost knock me off my bike. Had this smell always been here? I pinched the collar of my shirt around my nose and continued to shine my phone light towards the glowing red orbs. Every time I would take a step forward, the orbs would retreat. I moved two steps forward to the steps descending the patio and almost in sync, like we were each conducting a performance, the orbs moved back twice. This time, I must have been close enough to hear it, as the orbs shifted backwards the unmistakable noise of weight pressing down onto foliage could be heard. Something was standing between the trees behind my cabin staring at me. Those weren't lights, they were a pair of eyes. My body lost all sense of gravity as that realization dawned on me. I was so light it felt like I could just float away at the slightest touch. My mind was screaming at me to run, to move back into the cabin, head for the door, get in the tuck parked in the driveway and just drive. Don't even head to Cost Town, to the bar where my wife will be pleasantly sipping wine with her parents, just drive far away. My rational mind was not functioning. I could feel my cognitive ability physically slow down. Like time around me started to bend and wobble. I managed to force my body to take a step backwards, which caused the eyes to move forward. If I took a run for it, would whatever was staring at me make chase? This thing must have been at least seven foot tall, at an estimate. A bear would surely have come towards me by now, or ran when I was shouting earlier? The eyes came closer. I could hear the impressive weight of the creature come towards the light. Soon whatever was confronting me would be illuminated by my phone light. I wasn't sure I could handle seeing this creature. Seeing its full image before me knowing that all I knew about what was in this word would crash. To have my notions of what I thought was not possible stare me directly in the eye. My spine practically shot through my back when this beast tossed the first stone. It was a small pebble, like those that decorated the nearby beach. I could tell that it didn't threw that pebble hard, but the damage to the wall from the small lob showed just how powerful this entity was. I was on the wooden floor. I had fallen backwards and was now making my way back to the screen doors when my hand slipped on something small and round causing me to fall onto my stomach. As I came to, I noticed that I was surrounded by apples. Green and red Granny Smith supermarket apples. What the F was this? To my right, Beneath the indent that the pebble had made on the wooden wall, was an upturned basket I hadn't noticed. I quickly grabbed my phone, rose to my feet and quickly shone my phone light towards the trees, maybe I slipped on the upturned apples and knocked my head. The eyes were waiting, staring. Another pebble landed in front of me. I knew that if I turned and ran this thing would either leave me alone or charge, I was skeptical at the odds being strictly 50-50. It didn't seem to be trying to hurt me, maybe this was a communication? I picked up a nearby apple and tossed it towards the trees. Another pebble my way. So I tossed an apple. Again, another pebble knocked against the wooden railings next to me. Two more apples resulted in two more petals. This tit for tat went on until most of the fallen fruit was gone. Why did I do this act of exchange? I cannot say. I was so exhausted from fear that I acted without rational mind. Like I was guided to do by something outside myself. The pebbles stopped. I took this as a K to step back.
The eyes remained stationary and there was no sound. I took another and two more until my back knocked against the sliding doors. The eyes remained focused. I quickly slid open the sliding door and maneuvered my way backwards inside the cabin. As soon as I was past the dividing line between the complex and the patio, I slammed the door shut. Before I could sprint to my truck I could hear what sounded like loping footsteps combined with heavy breathing. I couldn't move. My throat shut and fight or flight mode seemed to crash like a malfunctioning computer program. Suddenly, I could hear a large commotion through the foliage. The commotion grew smaller and quieter as the elongated seconds passed by. I opened the sliding doors slightly and saw nothing. No eyes, no glow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, no apples either. The yard was a barren as it was the morning I first set eyes on it. The feeling of safety fell upon me like a fire blanket over a blaze. I crashed on the couch and marveled at the sense of peace that naturally arises when you know that you're no longer in danger. In front of me was the wildlife guide I had discarded before all of this and a small post-it note. The note was from the previous owner. Hey there, sorry for taking so long handing over this place. I can assure you that it was as frustrating for us as it was for you too. Lawyers. There's an orchard two miles from here and we pick apples every summer. Left some for you guys out on the patio. It's not much but hopefully we can let bygones be bygones. Enjoy your new crib. Well we didn't get any apples, but at least something is enjoying them. I took my phone out to call the missus and ask when she would be home when my eyes were drawn back to the wildlife mag. I had thrown it at an angle and could make out a sketch on the page. Lifting the magazine origin flora and fauna I saw a rough sketch of an enormous man on the page. More ape than man, but the stare gave it away. Sasksh, Yowie, Bigfoot, Wood Ape. Chance of sighting, very rare. Food, do not feed. Sasquakes will take this as an invitation and will be back. When I was attending a university about seven years ago, I found myself in a situation that would forever change how I conducted myself outdoors. When classes got out one January afternoon, the county I was in was hit with an intense blizzard. While it was pretty typical to get snowstorms every week in the winter months in that area, this one lasted a good few days, and we got so much snow that the school gave everyone a heads up that classes would be cancelled on Monday and Tuesday, at least, 
Due to predictions of the storm lasting clear until Sunday night, my roommates and I decided we would get our homework done early so that we could spend the weekend exploring some of the thick woods surrounding the campus. Why would 320-somethings be exploring the woods in three feet of snow, let alone howling winds and freezing temperatures? Well, even I think this sounds ridiculous, looking back on it as a grown man. You see, my college was known for its various arts programs that produced a number of gifted writers, painters, and actors. Over the years, many students fabricated stories and false accounts of various bizarre happenings in those woods, ranging from Bigfoot sightings to ghosts and coven activities. We thought the snow would make for an interesting investigatory experience, so to speak. I figured that if there was indeed some supernatural phenomena going on in the woods, we would see things like disturbances in the snow, and the natural silence of almost no one being outside in the winter terrain meant that we would hear all sorts of strange noises with no commotion to obscure them. I was generally the reasoner of my group, so no one argued with me. We packed some basic supplies into one of my hiking packs and left just a few minutes shy of noon. Long story short, we accessed the woods from a little-known entrance about 50 meters from the parking lot behind the Liberal Arts Lecture Building, and hiked about 2 kilometers into the woods. The scenery was stunningly gorgeous, with the evergreen pines and invasive maple trees saturated with white dusting, and snow covering every inch of the forest floor sometimes high enough to completely conceal the underlying shrubbery. Despite this, the area was rather unspectacular, with only the odd squirrel hopping about and complete silence. Eventually, we decided to hike down to a shallow stream that students referred to as Flinger Creek, so nicknamed for the many students and local residents who would fly fish for brook trout in it during the spring months. There were lots of large rocks along the bank, so we thought we would you know roll a couple northwest delights and chill there for a bit. Well, we spread an old sheet full of holes and awkward stains on the ground, and took our seats, joking about our butts being soaked with freezing snow water and even colder stones digging into our nethers, as we tried to keep our hands from trembling as we rolled our smokes. Suddenly, a dense fog consumed the ravine, and it became hard to see anything further than around a dozen meters from either direction of our blanket. While this happened quite fast, it wasn't exactly unusual to us. After all, we were next to a river, with snow piling up above the embankments, so it only made sense that we would get some fog. After a few remarks we brushed it off and began to toke up. Afterwards, the fog seemed even thicker than before, and as it was nearing 3 o'clock in the afternoon by this point, we decided to head back before the sun would begin to set, thus, dropping the temperature and running the risk of our soaking pants freezing to our junk. We balled up the sheet, put it back in the backpack, and began to head back. Well, we got lost. We used a fallen tree as a trail marker on the way down to the river but we actually walked past a tree that happened to have also fallen a few dozen strides from the one we noted. In the spring, this would not have been a big deal, but given the sheer amount of snow everywhere, combined with the fog, we could not really tell which way we were headed. My friends started to bicker amongst themselves, while I attempted to get us out of there. Eventually, I decided I needed a cigarette to relax and regain focus, especially given that it was now nearly 4 o'clock and the sun was beginning to set. 
I stepped under a tree and, upon sparking my Zippo, I noticed that the tree I was under had a bunch of weird hieroglyphs and runes carved into its bark. A lot of times, students would do this to trick hikers into thinking they were near some witch or ancient monster, in order to scare them for fun. I didn't really pay much mind to this. Until I heard some footsteps picking up from all around the tree. I called out, go F yourself, thinking it was one of my friends trying to scare me, I'm a pretty jumpy guy, honestly. At once, they all called out in protest. They, in fact, seemed to be under a tree several paces in front of me, where they remained since I broke away to smoke. I felt a chill, not from the cold weather, before replying, I heard someone stepping around. Was probably a deer or something. They made a joke about Bambi stalking me and laughed before they fell silent with an eerie promptness. I'm almost done with this guy, I called out, motioning to crush the cigarette but in the snow, before I was halted by one of my friends via a quite drawn out, shh. Wait. I got that same chill again. I remained faithful, quietly standing there as if waiting for the infantryman to give the signal to push on. I then heard another step, this time, it was a little heavier, like a foot intentionally pushing all the way through the snow to meet the frozen ground underneath. A moment later, I heard the sound of rapid footsteps go straight past me, picking up in speed as they grew audibly fainter. Jeremy screamed an obscenity I can't quite recall as the other guys shuffled in the snow suddenly, as if they were startled. Bear in mind, I could not see them from where I was, but, I sprinted ahead, whether in diligence or stupidity, I cannot remember, until I tripped over one of them, who was on all fours struggling to get up. What on earth? I shouted as my comrades shuffled around and got their bearings. I could now see them clearly, and I almost laughed at the sight of powder snow all over their bodies, looking as if they got 86 from a trashy club in. 1986. They were all fumbling their words, which didn't seem to improve, even as all of us returned to upright positions. Then, Ron arguably the most confident and bravest of us straightened his glasses, sighed, and spoke. I don't know what it was, but something big walked right in your direction. Well, what did it look like? I muttered. Hell if I know. I could barely see the spark of your cancer stick in this fog. All I could tell was that it was dark colored, almost like a shadow, and that it was taller than us, he waved his hand frantically over his head, as if to remind me that he was indeed the tallest of us, and he was, at least six feet, and was moving your way. It was nuts. I immediately approached this from my usual philosophical perspective. It was probably a moose. We're not supposed to get them this early in the year down here, but, hey, my uncle told me about a grizzly bear on his property last summer and he lives supposedly 200 miles away from grizzly territory. Everyone groaned and sighed in silent agreement that this was probably some big animal, startled by our sudden screaming. At any rate, it was long gone, and we decided to use a compass app on my Android to get to some road that we could then follow back to campus. After about a half hour of walking in the opposite direction, we wound up just to the left of where we entered the woods. We shouted in celebration before heading back to our dorm. Later that night, just shy of midnight, I stepped out of the residence hall to have another smoke. My joints were a little stiff, 
so I decided to take a stroll. Like a unsung hero revisiting an old battleground, I walked back to the trailhead we took earlier, looking down it as the shadowy path now looked to be the throat of some great animal, descending into nothingness as in an almost graceful void. I sighed and turned around to head back. My heart skipped a beat and I was speechless. I could not move or scream. Only inhale sharply, as I witnessed the most terrifying thing I had ever seen. Towering in front of me at least 10 feet tall was a being as dark as oil, with a long and twisting neck, extending upward and then curling back down in a supernatural arc, cradling a small, oblong skull with a wide, gaping mouth, bearing a bottom row of flat teeth and a strange, bony appendage just below what appeared to be a blunted nose, pushed into its face, and two beady yet bright silver eyes spaced far apart and sitting on either side of that skull. I could make out no further features of this thing only that, right in the center of its awful, somewhat feathery torso which seemed surreal and featureless it held a head bearing a stark resemblance to mine close to its chest if it had one. My eyes slowly rolled up to meet this thing's, before I fell to the ground, laughing maniacally as snow swirled around us. Every night, before I go to sleep, I meditate for approximately 30 minutes. I do this to get into a clear and positive space before dosing off. So as every night before, I started my meditation and it was pretty uneventful for the most time. I would actually say that it has been the calmest I have felt in quite some time even. However at the end of my meditation I felt something heavy pressing down on my body. Like some person was sitting on my shoulders and as my legs were shackled to the bed. Although it did feel weird I didn't think too much of it until my body was asleep already, which usually happens before my mind goes blank as well. This time around my mind did not go blank though. In my pure calmness, yet uncomfortable feeling of being pushed down, a huge dark entity with an enormous mouth entered my thoughts. It scared me a bit but I stayed mindful. The entity came closer where eventually it swallowed me with ease. Inside the entity's mouth it was pitch black, until a door appeared in the distance. My spiritual side got curious and without any conscious thought I walked towards it. I opened the door and got sucked into a fiery red cave, where one man was sitting. This man introduced himself as the man that makes deals for a living. Without further introduction he told me he had a deal for me that I couldn't refuse. He would let my wildest financial, sexual, and goal-oriented dreams come true. In exchange, my place for the throne. He continued that I was to take the deal, no further harm would come to me. Yet if I didn't he would spook my mind until eternity. Without having said a word myself, he showed me the exit and claimed that he will reappear once more when the time has come. I exited the cave back into the dark. There the entity moved me out of his mouth and disappeared from my thoughts. Ever since this encounter I have been pondering if I had an encounter with a devil of sorts, or if this was a higher spiritual being trying to warn me. Although the memory of it scares me, it does not make me panic. On the contrary, it brings me peace. But one thing is for sure, I don't know what to make of this situation and am looking for any advice on this or someone who experienced the same things as me.
I was driving a shortcut from 29 Palms, California to Albuquerque, New Mexico. 29 Palms is located in the desolate high desert east of Los Angeles. The shortcut was all two-lane road through total nothingness, except for passing through Amboy, Cali. Amboy is a nearly abandoned town nearly as far below sea level as Death Valley, with a dormant volcano and lava field on one side and a salt flat on the other. It was also, at the time, a hotspot for satanic group activity. So I was driving by myself in the afternoon. I stopped in Amboy and snapped a picture of the city sign, just to prove I was there to friends who dared me to take that route to I-40. I got back in my car and proceeded to drive up into the mountain range between Amboy and I-40. Once I reached the top I am driving north through a canyon with high grass on both sides of the road. Up ahead I see some stuff in the middle of the road. As I approach I slow down to see a red Pontiac Fiero stop sideways across both lanes, a suitcase open with clothes scattered everywhere and two bodies laying face down in the road, a man and a woman. I stop a hundred feet or so away and the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. Being a Marine, I reach under the seat and pull out a 9m M pistol and chamber around. Something seemed very wrong, it looked too perfect as if it were staged. An ambush? Was I being paranoid? Something was just wrong. Getting out of the car seemed unthinkable, it was the horror movie move. As I scanned the road I saw a line I could drive. Pass the guy in the road on his left, swerve to the right side of the woman, behind the Fiero and I'd be on the other side. I dropped it into first gear, punched it and drove the line I planned. I passed the back of the Fiero without hitting it or either of the bodies in the road. I continued forward a couple hundred feet and slowed down so I could breathe and let my heart slow down. As I looked up into the rearview mirror I saw that the two bodies had gotten up to their knees and twenty or so people emerged from the tall grass on either side of the road by the car and bodies. At that moment my right foot smashed the gas pedal to the floor and did not let up until I had to slow down for the I-40 East on-ramp. I will never know what would have happened to me had I gotten out of the car to check on the bodies or stopped my car closer to them. Somehow I do not think it would have been good. Sometimes real life can be scarier than a movie. The Legends of Whispering Hollow a small wood area in Yosemite had always intrigued me, but I never truly believed in cryptids or similar creatures. Yet, the stories persisted, whispered among the park's visitors and shared around campfires. A creature, simply known as the Beast, was said to roam the deepest and most treacherous areas of the park, a shadowy figure that struck fear into the hearts of anyone who dared to venture too close. As a seasoned park ranger, I was used to encountering wildlife and handling challenging situations. However, the rumors of the beast piqued my curiosity, and I found myself drawn to the mystery. Despite the warnings from fellow rangers and locals, I couldn't resist the urge to uncover the truth behind the legend. One fateful morning, I decided to embark on a solo expedition into the heart of Whispering Hollow. Armed with my backpack and a sense of determination, I ventured into the wilderness, following the winding trails that led deeper into the park. The air was thick with anticipation as I delved deeper into the unknown, my heart pounding with every step I took. 
As I navigated through the dense foliage, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. The forest seemed to come alive with hushed whispers, and the trees seemed to shift as if concealing something unseen. I brushed off the unease, attributing it to my imagination playing tricks on me. As the sun began to set, casting eerie shadows across the landscape, I found myself approaching the heart of Whispering Hollow. My senses were on high alert, and every rustle in the undergrowth made me jump. But I pressed on, determined to unveil the truth behind the legend. Suddenly, I heard a faint rustling sound, like footsteps approaching. My heart quickened, and I instinctively turned to seek cover behind a large tree. I peered cautiously around the trunk, my eyes widening in disbelief at what I saw. Emerging from the darkness, there it was, the cryptid. A large, dark figure walking upright, moving with an eerie grace. It was black and shorter than me, with no visible neck that I could discern. My breath caught in my throat as I observed the creature, trying to make sense of what I was witnessing. It stopped just a few feet away, sniffing the air with its nose pointing up, as if sensing my presence. Fear gripped me like a vice, and I struggled to control my trembling limbs. My rational mind urged me to retreat, to run back to safety, but an inexplicable curiosity held me in place. I strained to see its eyes, but the creature's face was shrouded in darkness. Its presence felt both ancient and otherworldly, and I couldn't shake the feeling that it was somehow aware of me, watching me with unseen eyes. As I stood frozen in fear, the cryptid turned around and walked away casually, in the same manner it had arrived. My heart pounded in my chest, and my mind raced with a jumble of emotions. Had I truly encountered the legendary beast of Whispering Hollow? Shaken to my core, I retraced my steps, deciding to leave the wilderness behind and head back to the safety of the park ranger station. My mind was filled with conflicting thoughts, the desire to protect the park's secrets and expose the truth about the illegal loggers now overshadowed my fascination with the cryptid. In the days that followed, I dedicated myself to uncovering the illegal logging operations and exposing the true villains behind the legend of the beast. As I gathered evidence, I realized that the loggers had fabricated the myth to scare people away and cover up their destructive activities within the park. With unwavering determination, I brought the evidence to the authorities, and a series of arrests followed. The illegal logging operations were shut down, and the park was finally safe from their grasp. Though I managed to protect the park from the true threat, I could never forget that chilling encounter with the cryptid. As the years passed, the memory remained etched in my mind, a reminder of the mysteries that lurked within the wilderness. I do some solo rock climbing on Yosemite big walls from time to time. It's not free solo, the ropeless slip and die version, as I'm still roped in and have various safety systems in place, but it's still damned unsettling to be on cliffs alone. Last fall, I soloed a 1,300 feet route on the Washington column called the Prow. It took me three days. The first night was horrific, because a severe thunderstorm rolled in. I spent the entire night shivering wide awake 500 feet off the ground as the heavens were rent asunder all around my portal edge. That was downright terrifying, 
especially considering that I was a bit of a lightning rod with all of my aluminum equipment. After I descended two days later, some hikers I bumped into mentioned that they had seen lighting strike the top of the Washington column that night, but the most eerie thing I've ever experienced was the whiteout. Between the thunderstorms and pouring rain on the first and second days, the fog would roll in and start to thicken. At its worst, visibility dropped to 15 feet. On the ground, that qualifies as more than creepy. 500 feet up a vertical granite face and totally alone, it is disorienting and nightmarish. I could see 15 feet up, left, and right, before the rest of the granite faded into the fog. But the worst was looking down into a white abyss. Not seeing another human for three days was weird, but not seeing the ground for several hours scared the bloody shit out of me. Your world condenses to a tiny bubble, and there is nothing to orient you in space but gravity. The closest thing I could compare it to is closing your eyes and floating underwater, it's that level of sensory deprivation, but with the horrifying knowledge that you are utterly alone and isolated. I had similarly terrifying experience the previous year on a solo ascent of the west face route on Yosemite's Leaning Tower. It's a 900 feet route that consistently overhangs 10 to 15 degrees. On the second day, I was behind schedule and was finishing the last bit of climbing in the dark. The very last thing I had to do was ascend a fixed rope attached to my camp about a 100 feet above me. Ascending the rope involves using clamps that cinch on the rope and allow me to pull myself up the rope only, without needing to use the rock face itself. However, the rope hung vertically, and with the overhang of the face, I was about 20 to 25 feet from the cliff. I had my headlamp on and made the mistake of looking down to see. Nothing. Not a damn thing. There was just a black pit below me, as I was too high for my headlamp to illuminate the ground. It was like seeing the blackness of space, except beneath you and with no stars. Just like the whiteout on the Washington column, not being able to see ground is a really disconcerting and disorienting feeling. I noped the F out of there pretty quickly and spent a fairly pleasant night 50 feet from the summit before descending the next day. I was in Alaska studying dormant volcanoes as a field geologist, and most of these trips consisted of 30-day solo excursions with a sample drop-off every week or two depending on how remote the survey is. I'll never forget on my 26th day, hundreds of miles from any sign of man, and as I descended the mount walking maybe a mile off was a man. So naturally I gave the universal greeting of holding my whiskey flask into the air as high as I could hoping he would see the sun glimmer coming from it. And indeed he did. My solidarity had probably gotten the best of me considering I hadn't spoken to anyone else for weeks and I probably shouldn't have approached him, but I was so lonely. He raised his rifle as we got closer, and made me dump my rucksack before he lowered it. From the contents that poured out it appeared he was interested in trade. I followed him back to his camp, which later I realized was his home. It was a shanty wooden hut in the middle of the woods. I realized he had been there for years. He had a rain barrel and no electricity, with multiple animal hides drying out in the sun. He descended upon my whiskey stash, and soon I had given him all my salt, pepper, Tabasco and just about any other flavoring I had brought with me. 
He was fascinated by a small solar panel I used to charge my GPS and phone. He had been in the wilderness so long that the panel only became commonplace after he went off the grid. He had never heard what 9-11 was. Halfway through our meeting I realized he had a motive behind speaking to me. He had seen me gathering samples the days before and was worried my company was in the exploration phase of mining. I explained to him that wasn't the case and I was representative from the government verifying the volcanoes were classified as dormant correctly. Immediately his demeanor changed and he grabbed his nearest rifle forcing me to leave because I said I work with the government. In hindsight I should have understood a man like this had very little care for government. He walked me a few miles away and told me never to come back and tell my boss the same. I promptly moved on to a new section of my map and marked are the features in the area around his hut as classified correctly. When I was about 12 or 13 my mom, two sisters, brother and I were driving home from a nearby very small town at about 2 a.m., a commute that we often made to see family who lived there. The drive to and from was only about two to three hours depending on traffic, however since it is desert landscape with nothing but flat cracking sand and a few scattered succulent plants it could often feel much longer. Because it was dark, we didn't even have that to look at. We resorted to playing different road trip games to pass the time, we were all too young at the time to have any entertaining technology, and to keep my mom awake as she had trouble driving at night. After driving for roughly an hour and a half we crested over a hill where we could see the next larger city in the distance, the city's lights making the overhead clouds glow, and the moon sitting low in the horizon to the right, where the clouds tapered off a bit. At this point we were all completely engulfed in our game until suddenly an insanely bright and basically blinding green flash lit the horizon, looking like it burned hot white towards the middle. When I say green though I don't mean a green like normal green I mean a weird, almost toxic and yellowish looking color but still astonishingly bright. It lit the horizon from end to end as far as we could see and then disappeared as if being sucked away just as swiftly as it appeared like when someone covers a light source with their hand. At the same time it disappeared, every single light in the city we could see in the distance shut off at once. Like a snap of someone's fingers. This scared me because I had seen power outages and usually they go grid by grid not all suddenly together. The weirder thing was that the headlights to the car turned off as well, but not the car itself. My mom pretended not to freak out for the sake of us but as the oldest I could tell she was genuinely scared. We kept driving for maybe a minute and half before everything just popped back on again like someone plugged everything back in, again not grid by grid like I'm used to. I researched later the next day to see what it could be and saw the green flash phenomenon, but saw that that usually only occurs at sunset. Also tried to see if it could be some sort of power plant thing but it wasn't that either. Still don't know what it was or what could have caused it as we were nowhere near a military base or testing ranges of any sort. I used to live in a quiet, remote village nestled among the picturesque landscapes of Sweden, about 40 kilometers northwest of Schuping. It was the kind of place where everyone knew each other, 
and life moved at a pace that was more attuned to the rhythm of nature than the hustle and bustle of city life. Our village consisted of no more than 10 houses, creating a close-knit community where everyone looked out for one another. One summer day when I was around 8 years old, the sun was shining brightly in the sky, casting a warm glow over the lush countryside. I was out biking with a couple of my adventurous friends, eager to explore the outskirts of our village. Our destination was the old, abandoned train station that stood as a relic of times gone by. It had an air of mystery around it, a place where imagination could run wild with tales of the past. As we pedaled closer to the train station, the sense of curiosity mixed with a hint of trepidation. We were about 40 meters away when something caught my attention, a glimpse through a second floor window. There, standing in stark contrast to the surrounding decay and desolation, was a black figure. It felt as if its eyes were piercing through the distance, fixing directly on me. I couldn't help but gasp and point, my voice tinged with a mix of astonishment and unease. Look, do you see that? I asked my friends, my voice quivering slightly. They turned their gazes toward the window, their eyes widening in pure terror. Their silence spoke volumes, and I could tell they had seen it too. The figure stood there, shrouded in darkness, an enigma against the fading light of day. We didn't exchange any words, but the unspoken understanding hung heavily in the air, we needed to get out of there, and fast. Adrenaline surged through our veins as we abandoned our bikes and ran, our hearts pounding in our chests. Fear lent wings to our feet, and we didn't stop until we were back in the heart of the village, panting and trembling. It was a feeling I will never forget, the primal fear that had gripped us, the sensation that we had encountered something beyond our understanding. We gathered in hushed whispers, recounting what we had seen and experienced, our young minds struggling to process the inexplicable. Over the years, the memory of that encounter never faded. Doubts crept in, had it been a trick of the imagination, a result of our youthful curiosity running wild? But as I grew older, my conviction remained steadfast. To this day, I firmly believe that what I saw in that second floor window was real, a glimpse into a realm beyond our comprehension. Perhaps it was the spirit of a long-lost soul, lingering in the shadows of that abandoned train station, or maybe it was something else entirely. Whatever it was, that moment ignited a fascination with the unknown, a curiosity about the mysteries that lie beneath the surface of our world. The small village and that abandoned train station hold a special place in my heart, forever linked to that summer day when innocence collided with the inexplicable. And while time may have passed and life may have taken me on different paths, the memory of that black figure remains etched in my mind, a reminder that the world is full of wonders, some visible, some hidden, and some that only a few are fortunate enough to glimpse.